Thank you, Andy. Hi, everyone. My name is Shay Meddings, and I'm the host of the Mental As Anyone podcast. I'm a psychologist, and I interview comedians and other entertainers about their mental health with the aim of helping to increase understanding and awareness of mental health. I've had some really insightful and interesting conversations, including with Andy, and I encourage you to have a listen. So find Mental As Anyone through the Facebook page, on iTunes or other podcasting platforms. Stay safe and well. Here's your weekly Patreon announcement. Patreon.com slash Andy Jowling is the place to go to support this podcast. Come on over. I'd love to have you. Supports us from only a buck a month. It is dirt cheap. It's a little set and forget payment. Um, you don't get anything for the $1 tier, except for this, just this lovely little warm and fuzzy feeling in, in, in your stomach. It's just, it's just, oh, I'm supporting Andy. I'm supporting Andy do something that he loves doing so much. And if you want access to an exclusive Patreon podcast episode that comes out every Tuesday morning, 6am, there are additional tiers that give you access to that as well. The support that I get from Patreon is huge, not only from a financial point of view. I mean, you know, you guys that are on Patreon already, uh, financially backing this podcast is covering the 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 website hosting the podcast hosting the editing the gear it just takes the stress off all of that part of running a podcast but the most important thing that i'm finding is that it is clearing my mind it's making it's giving me peace of mind it's inspiring me it's it's giving me clarity to know what i want and get after it and uh, get more and more exciting people on the podcast like this week's guest and and build it make it bigger and better and it's all thanks to people that are taking care of business for me and backing the podcast. So thank you so much to everybody that does join, supports, and you can find it all over at patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. It's episode 249 of the Andy Social Podcast. Ooh, 250s next week. Jeez. Oh, we're, we're, we're doing well. Pat on. I don't know if you can hear me just slapping myself on the back. Pat myself on my back. A little bit of uh, self-congratulations. It's still going. This week's guest is Jessie May. Jessie is a musician. Uh, she plays in a whole bunch of different bands. Uh, Turkey Vulture and Owl Maker are a couple of bands in particular. She's also a writer. She has her own music blog called um, Alternative Control. And probably the the really interesting thing that uh, we're certainly highlighting in this chat is that she has a website called Metalhead Money, and uh, you can go to metalheadmoney.com, and Jesse has a book coming out uh, that is available via Amazon. I'm going to have links in the show notes, and we're going to talk about it in this episode called Money Hacks for Metalheads and Old Millennials. A pretty cool, I've got a copy of it. I had an advanced copy uh, sent through to me, and uh, I've been reading it, and it is really, really good. Um, there's some really interesting and insightful uh, tips and tricks and things that we can all be doing to manage our money better. And I think, especially in 2020, with all of the, oh, just exhausting saying 2020, if you know what I mean. Uh, in 2020, there's been a lot of stuff going on. So I think something like this is incredibly valuable, uh, not only for musicians. I mean, a lot of this stuff is is a lot of great uh, life advice, um, and it's all coming from uh, Jessie's personal experiences um, in her own life, and she's sharing them with other people in the hope that uh, you know, we can we can all get better with our money. 
So um, everything will be in the show notes over at andysocial.net, andydowling.net. I'm going to have links uh, to everything that uh, Jessie speaks about and she's associated with in the show notes. Of course, you can click through on the uh, description for this podcast as well. There'll be a bunch of clickable links in there as well. And of course, go to metalheadmoney.com. Enough crapping on from me. Please enjoy this great chat with Jessie May. Well, heaps of different things to talk about. I... um, I was lucky enough to get a pre-early copy of uh, your your book, I should say, um, and I've been skimming through it and looking at everything. I've been writing down a bunch of notes because this is a topic that obviously you're passionate about because you've actually gone ahead and produced this book. But for me, it's like I I live and breathe this stuff. It's just amazing. Like it's and it's stuff that is not talked about enough. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess maybe to start with. Um, do you want to just explain what the book is and uh, I guess a little bit of the OG story, like where's it all come from? Why did, why did you decide to, to do a book in, in general, but, uh, a book on this topic? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, the book's called money hacks for metalheads and old millennials, kind of a mouthful <laughs> of a title. That... I love it. <laughs> Hey, if I do a, a second book, I'll have to figure out a shorter version of that. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't have a finance or, or business background. I work in education. Um, and I've always been like pretty good with money. Like I'm good at, at not spending too much, you know, but I've always also had the good fortune of being employed, knock on wood. So, you know, it's easier to be good with money when you have it. Um, so uh, you know, I was I was pretty good with money through my teens and twenties and into my early thirties, um, but I didn't really know too much about the topic. And then um, I actually was getting divorced, and we had to fill out all this paperwork, all these like uh, financial affidavits and stuff. And just looking at all that stuff made me think, you know, I'll bet there are a lot of things that that I've been missing mm. that. I could have been doing for years and that I haven't been. So that was kind of an impetus for me to start researching the topic of personal finance. And, you know, I would just get books out from the library and read them. And along the way, I did find out there were a lot of things that I I wasn't doing. Um, So really, especially in the past three years or so, I'd say I've taken a, a more concerted interest in it. And, you know, done some things that have improved my own finances. Um, but it occurred to me that I never heard anybody else talking about this stuff. You know, it's n- it wasn't something that I've talked about a lot with my family, except for maybe my grandmother. But even that was limited because it's kind of like a, a taboo topic, you know. Um, like people feel like it's impolite or it's secret. It's, you know, certainly something I didn't talk about with my friends. <laughs> you know, so... I thought, you know, maybe like if I don't know this stuff, maybe there are a lot of other people out there who don't know this stuff. And it really can make a big difference just just having a piece of information to act on versus having no idea. Um, and I edited the blog Alternative Control and I started doing a column series called Money Hacks for Metalheads and All Millennials. And people started messaging me and saying, oh, you know, that's really cool. You're doing that. Like, Nobody talks about this stuff. This is great. And so I figured, well, I've already got, you know, five or six columns written. Why don't I just 
do some more research and keep expanding on them and turn it into um, a book so that anybody could could just grab it if they wanted to. And um, so, yeah. I think, I mean, there's two things that sort of jump out straight away. It's it's that taboo aspect around money. Uh, it's I think no matter where you are in the world, apart, well, at least in the Western world, I should say, because it's very different uh, sort of in, mm. in a lot of Asian countries where especially, uh, well, in particular parts of Asia anyway, where money's spoken about a little bit more freely and it's it's uh, it's mm-hmm. usually a leading question when you introduce to somebody and it's sort of like you're sizing oh, them wow. up and sort of like how much money do you make? It's a very sort of confronting. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, in certain in certain cultures. So it's, um, yeah, for a lot of us in the Western world, we're like, geez, like how dare you? You know, and mm. and so it's, it's a very taboo topic. I mean, but on the flip side to that, which is just so silly when you think about it, so many of us are not willing to talk about it because we kind of feel silly to even ask about it because there's always this assumption that we should already know anyway. But it's kind of like, how do you know when it's not being taught and it's not being discussed freely? And so it's just this, these two worlds just clashing together and just not getting, not getting any traction. So to see something like this, uh, it's, it's amazing because I think, Unless you're going down a path of some sort, some sort of financial education to work in uh, a career in finance, where you understand the mechanics around it and it's part of your employment, most of us really get a very basic and informal understanding of money because, like, from our family or our friends, with lots of different opinions and different biases that are attached to those opinions as well, which definitely can steer you in the wrong direction. And for some, for something like what you're doing. It's kind of just this nice safe space, if anything, for, for metalheads, you know, and, and, and some of our older millennial uh, friends to be able to sort of just freely go through stuff and have some of those really basic foundations, you know, answered and get some clarity around some of this stuff. And I think that's, it's really powerful. Um, so I think, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's about time that, uh, that we start to talk about money. Maybe we don't have to tell each other how much money we're making, but I think we can certainly... <laughs> no, 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 we don't, we don't have to go that far. <laughs> no, we don't. But I think we can certainly we can certainly start talking about good ways to make money or good ways to save money. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, I think, you know, people are afraid to ask questions or, or be doing the wrong thing because they don't want to look stupid, you know? Mm. Um, so that... I mean, even as I was like writing these columns in this book, I was like, "Gee, am I really like, really making a jackass out of myself here?" <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, all all the information in the book. I mean, the, the band information is is basically my own experience and opinion. You know, everybody's going to have different opinions on how DIY your band should be and how much you should spend on PR and this and that. And you know, I just you know give my opinions as a weekend warrior, <laughs> and people can can take it or leave it. Um, you know, but all, and I should also mention that the, the book is us based. Mm. So, you know, some of it will apply worldwide, but there are several chapters, you know, the ones about investing in certain kinds of bank accounts that are only going to be applicable to us readers. Um, but you know, all the information comes from books, you know, every chapter has further reading at the end, which are all, you know, the books that I use to research and there's, uh, more selected sources at the end, like different articles from, uh, you know, different internet sources, some like Wall Street Journal, sites like Nerd Wallet and Investopedia, which are, you know, pretty, pretty good places to get information about, you know, when you want to look up 
well, what is an index fund? <laughs> like, what what does that even mean? Um, you know, sites like that have pretty concise definitions. Um, I was going somewhere with this, and I forgot where. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, oh, one, yeah, so I go. I, re- I remembered. I remembered. <laughs> so, uh, one thing I did do before uh, getting the book published was a friend who is a certified financial planner offered to review it. Um, just to make sure that the information was accurate, mm. you know, and, and there's a ton of different opinions in the personal finance world. Like I'm, I'm in the pay off your mortgage early camp. Mm. Some people think that's like the dumbest thing you can ever do, <laughs> you know, so, so not everything is cut and dry, but I wanted somebody who actually worked in the field to read it and be like, okay, you're not just telling people a bunch of BS that's, mm. that's wrong. Mm. Um, so he did read it and <laughs> I was very relieved that he's like yeah this is all good and you know he gave me a couple clarifications here and there but um but that made me feel better about putting the information out for other people to read and possibly you know follow some of the ideas in the book i didn't want to steer anybody in you know the wrong direction yeah i i haven't i haven't looked through it all yet and and certainly i noticed the sort of the nuances when it comes to things that are more applicable in the in the United States versus other parts of the world, but I think the thing that I sort of you know cutting through that it's it's still all very general fundamentals, and you can sort of change that into your own part of the world and, and find something mm-hmm. that's sort of relatively similar or a similar sort of concept. And the other cool thing that I've I've started to see uh, reading through the book is that at the end of each chapter you have, uh, as you said before some resources if you want to read um, further into the into yep. these topics, but also that checklist. And I think the checklist is awesome because it's almost like if you really want to cheat, and I'm not recommending people do this for your book, but you can go to the checklist and have a read through the checklist in addition to the topic of the chapter to see basically what are the key sort of takeaways and the things, the actions that you can take from it and and then go back and, and read read further detail. And I, th- I think it's really good to sort of the way that you sort of summarized it and to say, look, this is all the context. This is how, this is, this is the information. Here's the guts of it. But here are your steps. Here's the things where it's just knowledge. Knowledge is great, but you've got to be able to take action on that knowledge. And I think the checklists are really cool because it's sort of like, it's like, okay, before you, before you continue, let's get some stuff done. (laughs) Oh, good. I'm glad, I'm glad you like the checklist, especially my my productivity buddy here. (laughs) (laughs) Have a list. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, yeah, it's cool. cool. And I mean, the other thing is that I think another thing I've noticed with with a lot of the contents is that yes, it does go into detail, and is and I wouldn't say any of it's overly complicated, um, but it's sort of I think the the way that it's sort of easing people into the whole topic of money is that you're creating this foundation and and these basic principles that people should be just thinking about in general in their day to day day to day life, and then obviously that's mm-hmm. that's your that's your foundation, then you build off that. And then you can go down different paths of complexity depending on which direction you want. And I think also just the 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 comment that you made before about, you know, for you, paying off your mortgage is the most important thing, whereas for other people, they may have a completely different opinion, the opposite opinion. And I think it really just comes down to, and this is the exciting part about the topic of money, is that money and the way that you manage it can really come down to what your goals are and, and where you want to go in life and what, what are the things that are driving you. And obviously, depending on where you want to go, that's how you adjust and, and create your strategy and, and your framework. 
And so this sort of explains that that foundation once again, where you've got that platform to then make a decision as to which direction you go and whether you want to have a lot of, you know, air quotes, good debt, or whether you want to mm-hmm. just get rid of that debt and, and have the peace of mind knowing that you own you own your, your property, um, you own your assets, and and then you don't have to worry about the bank chasing you for, for payments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> very true. Is there something you've noticed going through when you're putting the articles together on, online first before the book idea came, came about, or even putting the book together, where you just start to notice, just sort of reflecting back, a lot of common myths or common mistakes that your peers, your friends, the people in your circles have made, um, or even just the comments that you get from people online um, where you've been able to address them in the book? Is there something in particular that's always sort of, or has jumped out at you as a real sort of obvious thing that people just continuously miss? Well, I mean, I think a good place to start is figuring out how much you have coming in and going out. Um, You know, like if anybody's wondering what the heck should I do, like save all your receipts for a month and figure out what you're spending money on. Um, You know, I think credit cards can be a, a trap you know, I think uh, I'm of the opinion that you should think carefully about what you put on there. You know, I know there's sometimes there's going to be emergencies or your car breaks or something and you have to put it on there. But do you need to go out to the bar every weekend with your credit card? Mm. You know, I, I personally would say no. <laughs> you know, I can't tell people how to live their life. But if, if you want to get your finances in order, you you know, first place to look is to look at your spending to, you know, make an effort to avoid unnecessary debt. Um, and, you know, that's, that's, you know, a couple things that have kind of guided me and uh, have been working well so far. <laughs> so, you know. Do you see that? Do you see that's a, a very common th- theme with other people as well is just, a, a, just an, just not having that awareness of, of what comes in and goes out with their, with their accounts. Um, yeah, you know, I've had a lot of people say that they, they don't track their spending. I, I actually, I did a Twitter poll on it the other day and 50% of the response, the responses were that they don't track their spending. <laughs> uh, I, you know, and I don't know what, what the reasons for that are or what, you know, what kind of shape the, those people's finances are in, but you know, ha- I was surprised that half the people said they, they don't keep track. Um, and yeah, you know, I have seen you know, people I know personally just kind of get over their heads with credit cards and, uh, you know, they want to dig themselves out of it. And then, you know, they just keep getting charged the interest every month. And by the time you realize you want to dig yourself out, they've already got you, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just a very daunting process. Um, and I think sometimes people feel hopeless or they're like, well, why do I even bother? I have this huge balance. Like, I'm never going to pay it off or, you know, it, it, it's like a, a vicious cycle. <laughs> it's almost a like vicious you, circle. It's almost like you, you, you learn to live with the pain. You know, you just, it's like, oh, well, that's life. You know, I, I'm just, this is just the way it's going to be. And, and you sort of just succumb to it. And I think it's also, also with the potentially, I mean, I've got no idea why people don't track their, their spending, but you know, one of the reasons it might be that, that sort of giving up or, or if I don't think about it or I don't see it, then I can sort of avoid the problem, which obviously makes no sense. But, <laughs> but if we're, if you're dealing with a lot of pain and, and stress about money, then you, you tend to, you tend to try and stay as far away from that pain as possible. 
Yeah, no, I, and that that kind of makes sense of why people would do that. You know, I just don't want to look at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it just kind of gets worse. Yeah, absolutely, and and yeah, and then eventually becomes an issue where you've got no choice but to pay attention to it because you know extreme extreme consequences are, are happening around you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in the U.S., um, student loan debt is a big issue for people. Mm. And, you know, I, I think people, when when they're college age, you know, take take on this debt with the best intentions. Um, not really, uh, like your 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 frontal lobe isn't even fully developed until your mid twenties. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, I mean, you can't, you tell an 18-year-old, oh, you, you know, you're going to make lots of money after you get out of college, sign on the dotted line, and they say, okay, sure. You know, and they really, uh, through no fault of their own, really just don't, don't realize what a burden it could be, you know, if things don't work out the way that they hope they'll work out, and, and it, I mean, it's, it's a big problem in the U.S., mm. I think um, we certainly have, I, I haven't gone through sort of college or university education. So I've mm-hmm. in some ways have missed out on, on, on some opportunities in, in sort of that educational space. But at the same time, I've, I've probably dodged a few bullets financially <laughs> with, uh, mm-hmm. with uh, taking on debt. I think we've got a few different programs in place that help, uh, help students pay off debt over time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure exactly to what extent it seems to be something that's more prevalent in the U S and I don't know whether that's just a population thing or whether it's the, the way that it's structured, I'm not, not entirely sure, but it is, it's an interesting thing where I think for a lot of, a lot of young people, students, you know, people that want to educate themselves, it's always with this good intention, like, you know, to be educated is a positive thing. So yeah. it makes sense to then say yes to these what you would feel as opportunities and they're positive things. You're contributing to the community by upskilling yourself and, and then going in, out to, you know, into a particular field and, and forging a career. But, but it just comes with such a massive consequence and, and it's almost like they're getting penalized for, for doing something that's actually quite positive and beneficial for everybody around them. Yeah. So it's very sort of counterintuitive. It it really is, and, and a lot of the loan terms are very predatory, and they don't make things clear to the borrowers. Or you know, you miss a single deadline, and then they jack up your interest rate by a lot. Mm. And and it's it's really, you know, pe- people might say, "Oh, well, you never should have taken out those loans." Well, it's it, that's that's not the issue. The issue is not with the individuals. Like it's a it's a systemic problem in the U.S. So ho- hopefully, someone fixes it. Mm. at some point but it really has wrecked a lot of people's well i shouldn't say wrecked but it's really put a lot of people's goals on hold like if you know let's say you take out all these loans and you're paying them off for a decade you know maybe you would have wanted to buy a house or maybe you would want it to get married or something like that but you have this giant debt that you're working towards paying off so i think it's delayed a lot of things um for for some people what we're dealing with it I guess sort of you doing research and looking into a lot of the, these things and, and understanding different people's 
uh, scenarios that they live in and they, they have to have to battle on a day-to-day basis for that kind of scenario with somebody that has this crippling debt, um, in, in particular student debt. What sort of, I mean, apart from obviously, you know, tracking your spending is a big thing because you've got the awareness of where the money's going, but what sort of things have you identified as far as basic steps to move in a, in a more productive direction to help sort of take the edge off, uh, off this deck? Because obviously you can't change the system. And, yeah. and as you said before, there's no point looking back in the past about the decision of going into debt because it's already happened. So w- what have you sort of identified as far as some things that people can do to, to start moving the needle a little bit? Well, for a large debt like that, um, your living expenses are your biggest expense. Mm. So if you can find a way to cut that, you know, if you're if you're willing and able to live with your family and your family's willing and able to let you live with them mm. for, you know, on the cheap or free, and then you can apply that money towards your debt. I mean, that's that's really the the largest expense in your life. So if you can cut that somehow or, you know, reduce it, you know, certainly not everybody can just move in with their parents and live there for free. Um, but, you know, like things like living with a roommate or living, you know, renting a smaller place and applying the savings towards a large debt like that is one way to do it. Um, certainly, like there's there's different loan consolidation programs and you have to read all the fine print very carefully. Um People can refinance their student loans, but again, like with that kind of thing, some of some of the programs are good, and some of them are not. Um, there was even a program for, by the federal government offering student loan forgiveness for for educators, and they basically just scammed everybody, mm. and they ended up granting like one percent of the 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 applications, like wow. the people who signed up and were in this program only like 1% of them actually got their loans forgiven. And one of our, um, our, our national public radio um, media company did a whole expose on it. And I think because of that reporting, they, they did manage to get some more people um, to get their loans forgiven as this program had promised. But like, that's how much of a scam it is. So you're, you're right that, that you can't change the system. Like the system is, is what it is. But I'd say housing costs are your biggest cost. So if you can tackle that in any way, um, that's where you're going to see the most bang for your buck, so to speak. Yeah, I think, and it's one of those things where you, you're, you know, if you're not, if you don't have the awareness of where your money's going, then I think you sort of just mm-hmm. think that your current set of circumstances, your lifestyle choices are uh, are already limited and, and there's no other options to take because you just feel that, you know, you're, the way that you're existing at the moment and living is, uh, is the be all and end all as far as, you know, there's, there's just no other flexibility that you can possibly, um, have. But I guess if you've got the awareness of, oh, geez, that's how much money I pay in rent a week or a month. And, you know, and then even spending a few minutes to look online at, uh, other rental properties in your area. Cause I think, I mean, I don't know what it's like in the U S but, here in Australia, what you'll find is that the market changes quite a bit. And so rent mm-hmm. just goes up and down. It's just, it's, it's a supply and demand scenario, like, like a lot of places. And so you might be in a property and you might be on a lease for, you know, for a period of time, but, uh, you know, you might find that you, you're paying whatever it is per month. And then the unit next door to you 
or the house next door to you or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. maybe a few hundred dollars cheaper per month. Uh, just because by the time that lease came onto the market, there was a different supply and demand scenario as, as opposed to when it mm-hmm. was when you signed your lease. So if you can... Um, and obviously there's a lot of, there's a lot of things you got to consider, whether you can break your lease, whether, you know, how much longer you got to wait and what your options yep. are, but even something like that to just spend five minutes going online and just seeing what the, the other rental properties in your suburb or your town are like, because it just changes so mm-hmm. much. And maybe there's an option there to go, okay, well, my lease expires in six months. Um, this is something I'm going to keep an eye on because potentially, and it will be a pain to, to move, but if it means I'm going to save a couple hundred dollars per month or whatever it might be, then, you know, and if you calculate it over a period of time, then that money adds up. So it might be worth uh, a little bit of pain for a few weekends to move and clean and, and, and do the, and do the yeah. rest of it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, uh, not, nothing is easy, no. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, the housing thing, and then, I mean, the other side of it, you know, no matter what goal you're trying to reach, whether it's paying off debt or, or saving for a house or something else. Um, I mean, and I don't think this gets said often enough, but you have to find ways to increase your income. Mm-hmm. Like the, at the end of the day, there's only so much money that you can save. You know, you can't, you can't stop doing everything you like. You can't stop living somewhere, you know, unless you go live with your parents. <laughs> um, you know, you're always going to have expenses. So, you're you're only going to be able to reduce those so much. And then at a certain point, if the reduction isn't cutting it for whatever goal you have, you got to find a way to make more money. <laughs> and I, I feel like they leave that chapter out too much. Well, I think I, I had a chuckle. Um, I can't remember exactly where it was in the book, but you were making a mention of how a lot of the self-help books out there, uh, you know, these entrepreneurs and they're talking about how to negotiate with your boss for a pay rise and, and all this sort of stuff. And, and you more or less said, look, if you work in some sort of government system where you've got levels of employment and, you know, it's your tenure um, and whatever yeah, the, yeah. the job title is, then you can't get extra money. Like it, it's, it's, that's your role and that's what you get paid. So there's no yeah. point asking for, for extra money. So you've got to find other things that you can do uh, to, to bring in some extra, extra dollars here, here and there along the side. Very true. Very true. <laughs> so yeah, that definitely looks different, you know, depending on what profession you're in. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm in education and I, you know, I, I get paid whatever it says on the chart, you know? So either I can work more or I can find way, you know, work more at like a different job after school or in the summer or, you know, find different ways to get a little side income or passive income coming in. And I mean, that's pretty much you know, my avenue for making more money when I need to. What, what, are some, what are some ideas that you've floated or you've seen other people do that have helped them bring in just a little bit of extra money sort of on a weekend or after hours to, to just try and take a bit of the edge off those, those expenses or that debt? Well, I think that, you know, if you have, you got to develop some sort of skill that's useful to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so personally, I, you know, I do uh, freelance writing and that, that usually gets me a hundred to $200 a month. So not, you know, not a ton of money, but like, I'll, I'll take it. It's mm. de- it definitely makes a difference. Um, but I have friends who do like graphic design and, you know, they'll, they'll design artwork for bands or they'll make flyers or things like that. Um, so it's not, it's not things that are like 
overbearing on their lives. It's more like things that are kind of fun for them to do anyways. Um, and then, you know, if you're good at it and people know you and word of mouth gets around and people start approaching you, you have to hire you to do this thing that you like to do. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's what I'd say if you want to make your side hustling less arduous to, uh, get good at something you like to do and that other people, uh, might need help with and then start trying to find clients. I think what I find with a lot of peers and friends of mine is that there are a lot of people that tick those boxes. They're really talented. They might be great at mm-hmm. writing or, or graphic design or um, just, you know, a bit of management as well, especially in, in sort of that DIY music space. There's a lot mm-hmm. of really savvy people that are great at sort of general logistics and management of, of bands and and just uh, sort of the day-to-day, you know, behind the scenes uh, things that you have to consider when, when you're an artist. And I th- I don't know if it's the same sort of where you are, but I think a lot of people really struggle to ask for money or to sell themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's that that divide between doing it because you love it and maybe it's that dreaded word, it's a hobby, versus mm-hmm. actually professionalizing <laughs> it and creating some kind of business and actually validating your passion and your skill set by putting a dollar figure next to it. And I think people really worry and hesitate to take that step where suddenly they're like, okay, well, I can do this for you. This is what it's going to look like. This is what I charge, whatever it might be. And that's a really difficult thing for people to do because it suddenly they've got to, they've got to find that confidence in themselves to actually convince themselves that they are worth that money themselves, like let alone convincing somebody else. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. That's very true. But, you know, on the flip side, I feel like a lot of people would rather pay their friends or acquaintances they know in the scene to do something than a stranger, you know? Like, people are afraid to ask for money, but there's people out there who would be happy to give you money to do X, Y, Z, you know, because they can't do it themselves, so. I think there must be ways that people can can get over those concerns and, and sort of that hesitation to put themselves out there. Maybe, maybe it's a case that, you know, if, I mean, graphic design is always the easy one because it's, it's something that's becoming more and more common these days, but it might be a case that you create a landing page somewhere, or even if it's just on social media where you've got a, a Facebook page and in the about section or your story page or your notes or whatever it might be, it's got some fees, some basic fees or something like that. So you don't have to have that awkward conversation with somebody to begin with where you, you have to break the news to say, hey, I'm happy to do it, but it's going to cost blah, blah, blah. You can just <laughs> refer people to that page and just avoid having that that awkward moment where you have to try and justify your value to somebody. So maybe things like that could help people sort of get over that hurdle. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely say, Oh, here, here's a link to my rates. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then just, and then just cl- close the window and disappear for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, it's, uh, it's the, I think there's a lot of uh, potential in asking and putting yourself out there um, if you do it in the right way. And I think if like anything, I, and I've, crapped on about this quite a bit on the podcast over the years, but I think being genuine and being authentic about who you are and what you do, I think that that commands value. And I think you attract people that see the value in, in the genuine aspects of yourself and whatever that might be. Uh, you know, it might just be from a social currency of, of building friendships, but it might also be in particular skill sets and services that you can provide as well. So I think uh, people need to 
just give themselves a little bit more assurance that they they can do something, they can put something out there. And there's that many people in the world, and especially now with the internet, there's so many opportunities and there will be somebody out there that wants to work with you or utilize your services or be connected with you one way or another. Definitely, definitely. Uh, it's very it's very cool having clients in other countries. I, I'll say that. <laughs> Do you notice anything different with working with other people in other parts of the world? Um, or any hurdles I, or I've any... I've noticed... Well, time zones, time zones are, are just not a hurdle really, but just a consideration. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody is in the UK or in Australia, like, and they want to get something out over the weekend, like I have to keep in mind that there are, their weekends already happening, <laughs> you know, and if they're my client and they need something, like I need to make sure that I, I'm doing it like a day ahead or, you know, half a day ahead so that they have it, you know, when they need it. <laughs> Because they're in the future. That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I've sometimes um, I'll like copy edit press releases and band bios for um, bands w- whose um, English is a second language for mm. them, and I'm always really impressed. Like, because uh, you know, I speak you know enough spanish to find the bathroom and that's that's really it <laughs> and you know i'm getting these bands from like sweden and kazakhstan and you know all these different places with these very well written bios that just need you know a look over over from a native english speaker and you know a couple little tweaks here and there and i'm like wow th- <laughs> this is this is amazing <laughs> Maybe maybe I should get back on Duolingo and learn more Spanish. <laughs> I I always joke that I only know one language, being English, and I'm not very good at it either. Like I'm, I I struggle with my own language. So anybody that can speak more than one <laughs> is incredible, and the people that are completely multilingual just blow me out of the water. It's absolutely incredible, and you do find that if if it is somebody that hasn't had English as their native language, uh, the way that they command that language, I mean, just, it leaves a lot of us in the dust. It just, because they've had to learn it very, you know, uh, in a, in probably a more formal setting than probably any of us have had to, I mean, we've had the the day-to-day practical experience of it, but you know, there's so much stuff. I just look at from a grammar point of view and I go, oh geez. Yeah. Okay. I don't do that. I probably should be, (laughs) probably should be structuring (laughs) a sentence or a paragraph like that. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, that's, that's an interesting service in itself where, you know, you've got, you've got people, you know, musicians who want to break into other markets and more popular markets where music's, you know, certain styles of music are more popular. And so they want to be able to have their information to be able to be read by people in those, in those areas of the world. So it makes sense that you would pass your bios onto somebody who's a native speaker to be able to read it and say, Hey, I understand it. It makes sense. It flows. It's, it's correct. And, um, and then, you know, any advice or tweaks here and there um, where necessary. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a cool thing to be able to do to, you know, help people get their music out there. You know, it's fun. (laughs) One of the other things I've, I found interesting with uh, with the book was about shopping, and oh. I haven't I haven't gone into a lot of it yet. But my wife and she, I don't know whether she'll listen to this. If she does, it'll be months and months <laughs> down the track. If if she gets around to it, I think she's sick of hearing my voice on a day to day basis, let alone a podcast. <laughs> but that's another story. But my wife is an avid shopper. She loves shopping. And she loves it and hates it in the sense that it's, sometimes she just uh, 
shops and then regrets it straight after. And I've noticed in your section about shopping, there's just a whole bunch of things that you've highlighted as far as things to consider when you do go out to go and buy things. Um, what what are some of the what are some of the big things that people should be aware of or thinking about when they go out to buy different types of items? Um, well, I think comparison shopping has you know is very helpful. Um, whether you're grocery shopping or if you're making you know a one time purchase of something, um, just to get you know a couple of different prices, and, and sometimes you'll find they're similar, and sometimes you'll find they're very different. Mm. Um, even, I mean, we, we got like a, a tree cut down in our yard and w- one service quoted me like, I don't know, $800 and another service quoted me $300. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, wow, I'm glad that I got another quote. <laughs> um, even taking my cat to the vet. I had this whole saga with my cat this month and we were taking him to one or her. We were taking her to one vet and the vet was kind of kind of difficult to communicate with and I wasn't like a super fan, so I decided, you know, I would, and the cat really wasn't getting any better from what the vet was doing. Mm. <laughs> so I said, well, you know, let me, let me Google, let me go to old Google and, you know, find out some other vets in the area and call, call around. And I found a different vet who said the other services that the vet, the first vet wanted me to do were completely unnecessary, <laughs> um, put her on a different kind of food and, Gave and gave her, you know, some t- kind of temporary medicine to take for like two weeks, and now she's great. <laughs> so yeah, so instead of like shoveling my money away to this guy who was blowing smoke, now the cat is better, and, <laughs> and so it's is just your bank crazy. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, and you know, it's it, these these vet veterinarians are probably two miles away from each other in my town, and. Wow. They had completely different treatments for what my cat needed. <laughs> it's just crazy. So yeah, I mean, I, I'd say number one comparison shop. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, just understanding, even sort of being on the other side of the fence, where you, you know, even just going back to what we we're saying before about selling your services and having something to offer people and and setting up, you know, a little side hustle or a business, whatever it might be just seeing the difference in what people put value on on their product or their their service and it's really subjective i mean there might be an industry standard in some in some respects for depending on what it is but in most things uh, it's really down to the opinion of the person who's selling that product or service as far as how much value they think is in there and because it's so subjective that's where you see all those fluctuations so you know you might see something and you see that price and i think just to spend that extra 5 or 10 minutes making an extra phone call or going onto Google and, and doing a quote online could make, I mean, even just with the tree example, like just hundreds of dollars in savings just by just, you know, potentially making another call to somebody else and seeing what they could do. And I think the other thing um, just I've also noticed uh, is that people that are in business want your business. They, they, most people are trying to win you over from somebody else. So I see a lot of price matching or, people mm-hmm. willing to do something cheaper than, you know, you tell me what someone else has quoted you and I'll try and do it better than that quote because they, in the end, they can take that saving and and they can win you over as a customer and they get your business. So I think a lot of businesses out there have the flexibility to be able to s- sort of either price match or, or do better than, than their competitor just to get your, 
get your business. So uh, it definitely helps to to at least uh, contact more than one party to before you spend money. Yeah, oh, de- definitely. I definitely agree. And, you know, sometimes you might end up going with the, the higher priced thing if you think it's a better value. You know, that, that'll happen from time to time, but at least you, you found out, you know. Mm. Yeah, sometimes peace of mind uh, comes at a premium. And yeah, and the, and and it's and it's it's worth it. It's worth it for that peace of mind. What what are some of the other things that you've you've noticed from a shopping point of view? Like things to, just even if it seems really trivial, but just things that people should be should be just considering or looking out for. Well, I mean, in terms of grocery shopping, which ha- I have a giant chapter on in the book, because <laughs> I guess I'm, I love it. I guess in some weird way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, buying in bulk is is definitely like a, a number one strategy um because your your food will be cheaper in larger quantities so if you have the storage space to buy you know the giant thing of paper towels instead of three pack Mm. you're paying less less per roll uh, or you know less per item or whatever um so yeah buying in bulk trying to use up uh the stuff that you buy you know so you, you kind of have to keep track of of how long things will be good for and you know what is your household actually going to consume before the next time you go shopping so you're not buying a bunch of stuff and throwing it out Mm. um i mean those are pretty well they they are pretty obvious things but but just paying attention to something like that can help you you know use your grocery budget more effectively i think that's that's the thing though like what was explaining like talking about at the start where you know, and, and I think you mentioned it as well. Like as you're putting putting the book together, you're thinking, mm, like, is this too obvious? Is this is this such a such a no brainer for people that are probably already doing it? But I think I think well, you you would know now, but I think many of us would be uh, sort of amazed at how many people just understand the theory of it, but the theory versus the practice is two very different things. And I I've certainly been one of those people that just walks into a supermarket to go and buy my groceries without a list, without any plan. And oh, I was no. walking up and I oh, know it's like, it's, it's, oh, geez, it's dangerous <laughs> and, and walking up and down every single aisle and just going, that looks good. That looks good. That looks good. And then, yeah, coming home with a bunch of crap, like unhealthy stuff. So that's one problem, but then things <laughs> that go off because you don't get around to eating them. So you end up throwing it out. So that's money down the drain and just no structure in no intention behind why you're buying it and what you're going to be using it for. So, I mean, these days now, luckily, um, I I have a wife that's quite switched on in this area, so <laughs> she saved me. But uh, she, if I'm going to the supermarket, she's giving me a list, and she yep. tells me she goes, "Do not deviate from this list." And I'm like, mm-hmm, "Okay, all right." And sometimes I struggle a little bit. I see things, nice shiny things, and I want to grab them. But the other thing is that uh, that my wife Jess, she she meal preps. So every Sunday, uh-huh. it's a case of let's work out the week ahead and what meals we're going to be having. What are we going to have for dinner? What are we going to have for our lunches? And sort of start to map things out and might not be able to cook everything straight away, but at least start to get things together. And at least sort of, because what we find is it might be the middle of the week and you're starting to feel that burnout. Like things are just, yeah, it's just, you're grinding and mm-hmm. oh, I can't be bothered cooking. I, I can't be bothered, you know, you know, slaving away over the stove and trying to work something out for dinner or even just thinking about it. I just don't know what the hell I'm going to make for dinner. So 
Let's just get takeout. Let's let's get let's get Uber or something like that. Let's get whatever. Yeah. And so you're eating junk and you're spending money that you shouldn't be spending when there's probably stuff in the fridge anyway. So we know what we're like, and we've certainly done that in the past. So we're we're trying to think ahead to stop ourselves from from giving into these bad habits. So to have this meal plan prepped in advance um, has probably saved us a lot of money that we haven't even realised because we just uh-huh. we've got the we're we're in. We've already got the intention of what we're going to eat for the week and we don't have to think about it at the time. It's already there. So it's sort of, uh, it's just removing the friction, I think. Uh-huh. Wow, that, that that sounds great. That sounds like you guys are doing awesome. Trying to, anyway. <laughs> we slip up at times. And I think um, the other thing I found really interesting with what you were saying, and I, uh, you kind of touched on it before around you can only save so much. And I think also mm-hmm. you can only starve yourself to an extent as well. And I think people need to have that balance where you're still able to live a semi-interesting and entertaining life where you can still go and do things and, and reward yourself and have some of those those little luxuries here and there um, rather than just sort of turning the tap off on everything and, and you know, living in pain for however many months or years to, to get to your financial goals. You've got to have that balance along the way. I thought, I thought that was really interesting and uh, a good point that I think people forget and miss. Oh yeah. Well, I, uh, this, this uh, comparison I'm, I'm borrowing from someone on Twitter, but someone was saying that, that doing that very strict budgeting is kind of like, like dieting where you put yourself on this very restrictive diet mm. and then, Within a couple of weeks, you give up and just go eat all the terrible things <laughs> and, and just like screw yourself even more. Um, and I think a very strict budget can make people feel like that. Like you just, after a couple of weeks or a month or two, you give up and you just splurge because you haven't done it in so long. Um, and, it, you know, it's, it's counterproductive. So I definitely agree with you. You have to, you know, if you can like have a little room for something fun you should do that and not feel bad about it. Absolutely. There's a book uh, I've, I've I've spoken about a little bit on the podcast and I, I don't know if you know it, but it's called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And no. it's a, it's an amazing book. It's, it's just, it's all about the, the concept behind the book and I'm probably butchering it, but it's about getting 1% better every single day and playing the long game. Mm-hmm. You can't change everything overnight. And I think that's what stops most people from getting anything done or, or changing their lifestyle because they they think if they can't change everything immediately or make those those changes straight away, then there's no point. Because, and then they start to blame themselves and say that, you know, I lack discipline, I lack the motivation, I'm lazy, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever other negative self-talk you could possibly have. And mm-hmm. what the book is saying is that you're not doing this like a diet or some fad. You're not doing it just to see if you can starve yourself for the next 30 days. It's yeah. this, is, this is a forever thing that you want to do. This is something you want to change your lifestyle. So there's no rush. So it's a case of have your lifestyle as it is now, and it might be far from perfect, but it might be just a case of changing one thing, and that's your goal for the next 30 days or for the next week. Mm-hmm. And it's just that one little tweak, and you hardly notice it. But it's just that one degree, one percentage better than where you were the day before. And over time, it's like compound interest. It just compounds and compounds and then gets bigger and bigger. And you start to get acceleration behind what you're doing. And then you start to notice big changes later on down the track. And it's just, I mean, that book for me has been a game changer. And I've, whether it be health 
um, being a little, little bit more intentional about what I eat and what I drink, you know, going out and mm-hmm. just all the excesses that you have. Um, but <laughs> also money as well, just, you know, instead of just turning off, turning off those taps, like I said before, and not spending any money at all, what I've done, you know, some of the things that I, I enjoy doing, I just for a month, I thought I'm not going to change anything. I'm just going to map it. I'm just going to work out exactly what I'm doing. It's sort of like what we we're saying before, where I'm, I'm going to track to see where my money's going to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then once I've got sort of a sample, I've got a data set here, like I've got some data to work with, then I can work out what I want to tweak. And so one month I, I get, get the data and then the next month I'll, I'll start to go, okay, well, I'm going to try and reduce this by, you know, X amount of dollars or X amount of percent or whatever it might be. Just a little bit. It's not going to hurt. I'm hardly going to notice it, but over time, I'm just going to continuously just chip away at it and just get lower and lower mm-hmm. and lower or change over time. And, and over time, you, you notice big differences. So I think, I think having, I think that gives people reassurance because I think you can still have, you know, a fun life. <laughs> As silly yeah. as it sounds, and and still have a lot of things that you enjoy, but still create new disciplines where you you get better over time. For sure, for sure. The other thing I was uh, wanted to not pick your brain, but I guess just get some some of your thoughts was around the band the band stuff, the band finances, and and you mentioned it earlier as far as you know that's some another part of this this book that you put together because I think the really good thing about it is that for people. Yeah, because this book doesn't come out until the 1st of December. Is that right? Yeah, well, you know, I, I had kind of a snap. Well, I don't know if it's a snafu or not with the Amazon, the Kindle Direct Publishing. But I had set I had set up the ebook first and set the release date to December 1st. And so the ebook comes out December 1st. And then when I uploaded the paper, paperback manuscript, I assumed that it would have that release date. And then it was like, your paperback book is live. Oh. And I was like, oh. And then, you know how Curtis is always saying, uh, Curtis, our friend Curtis Dewar, for anybody who's yep. listening of, of Dewar PR, uh, he's always saying, like, don't just release your stuff. Like, make sure you have it, like, months in advance, blah, blah, blah. And I sent him a message. I'm like, Curtis, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> the thing you hate, so, I've just done. <laughs> yeah, I, I just did that thing. So... <laughs> So yeah, so the paperback is is out now, um, and and the ebook, which is in my opinion the less exciting one, but some people like ebooks more. Mm. The ebook is what comes out on December first for six dollars and sixty six cents because yeah. I had to. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll I'll put links in the show notes so people can pre order it because I think it'd be good to <laughs> to get people behind uh, behind the pre order, and even if people are still a paperback fan, they can still uh, spend a couple of extra dollars and get the get the ebook, but. I think just for people to understand, this is not, this is not a book that's just primarily about musicians or being in a band. Um, that's just sort of one aspect of sort of a larger topic where you, you really are like the, the topics we're speaking about now, like in this conversation where it's just a lot of day-to-day stuff, just, you know, normal things that m- most of us or all of us have to sort of take into consideration uh, you know, as we, as we go through life. But there is this section that you've got around band finances in particular. Now you, you play in a couple of bands yourself, so I guess there's some mm-hmm. context around this. You've got some experience. Uh, what are some of the big things that you have noticed or you've experienced yourself that uh, that people in bands should be should be thinking about? Well, I mean, like I said before, I'm a weekend warrior. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely not seeking to make a living off of music. So, 
I I've found just from you know getting to know the people and bands that we play with, like everybody has some sort of day job. Hmm. Um, we were we were talking about before how there's only so much you can save, and at some point you want to increase your income, and like maybe being in an underground band is not going to be a great lucrative income source for your life. <laughs> so, I mean, certainly some people have done it. You know, I, I, I have not really seen that in my own, in my own travels. Um, so I think how, you know, having like tempering your expectations is one thing, you know, um, a, a lot of folks who play in, you know, the circles that I play in, are happy to break even or make a little money um, because they're, they're doing it more as a hobby and because they want to create art and they want to get it out to people. Mm. So if it can fund itself, then they consider that a success. And for other people that that might not be a success for them. They might say, well, I need, you know, I need to make X dollars from my band every year for it to be a success. And, you know, I, I can't say who's right or wrong, you know, but for me, I'm more in the the camp of, if if this expensive hobby pays for itself, then I've I've succeeded. Mm. Um, but you know, I mean, certainly people you know have all different aspirations for it. Um, but one thing I've noticed, no matter what your level of aspiration is, is that if you don't know how to do it yourself, you're going to have to pay someone else to do it. So the more kind of adjacent skills you can build in yourself. Um, or, you know, your, your band members have maybe having complementary skills that you don't have, that can really save your band a lot of money. Mm. Um, you know, in my bands, I'm, I'm often the organizer person, like the, the show booker, the social media person, the PR contact person, the, you know, this guy will send our press release out for free, but we have to write it person. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so, so that's, um, kind of my non-musical role. Um, but I've been very lucky. My, my amazing, talented husband, Jim Clegg, who's, who's now sitting here in the living room, <laughs> um, he, he is an artist and graphic designer. And we've been in bands together for, I guess, over 10 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and whatever band that he's been in, whether it's with me or other people, like when they need artwork or when they need a flyer, like Jim is the one making it. And um, when they need the CD layout thing to be done and the template the disc maker sends you, you know, he knows how to do that. So they don't have to find some graphic design guy and, and PayPal him 50 bucks to do your whatever. Like he, he's got it covered. Um, I, I know some people, like Jim is getting into to recording at home and you know some people are very skilled at recording and you know that's an investment in itself Mm. um you know especially as you start to get more professional equipment but that's another thing that's like adjacent to your band that will cost you money so you know becoming a a home recorder or home audio engineer is probably not for everybody um you know but for some people that's a really useful thing for them to learn how to do. Uh, like I just did an in- interview with Francis Roberts from mm. King Gorm and Old Man Wizard, and one of the questions was, you know, what's the best investment you've made in your music or your band? And he said, you know, his recording equipment and being able to record awesome new music now with equipment that he bought ten years ago. 
you know, but he's, he is like a, a professional musician. Like he does, he does it for, for real, for his living. Like, mm. I, I think that's like, he, he does lessons and recording and composition for like film stuff. Uh, so, so, I mean, he's very legit, but like for his own personal projects that, you know, maybe are not as lucrative as his music jobs, he's invested this time um, and money into learning how to record and getting the right equipment. And now he can just do whatever he wants from his apartment without having to hire someone. It's kind of like the side hustle that we're speaking about before, where, mm-hmm. you know, out of, out of a necessity for your band, so your band can continue to, to excel and, and do what you collectively want to do by, and, you know, by developing your own skills. And so you don't have to pay for other people to come in and assist. But then as you get better and more confident in these new skills that you're developing, then there's nothing to stop you from monetizing it and in helping other people and, and creating some extra revenue that comes out the side. So you might be saving money for your band um, by, by developing that skill and keeping it in-house, but you may also start to generate additional money on top of that, whether it be personal or, or depending on how you want to do it, it could be on behalf of the band and that, that revenue goes straight back into the band um, as a side hustle for the band. Who knows? Like, but um, I think that's, that's one of the, the attractive things I find with DIY music. I think mm-hmm. there's just, there's this real thirst or it's not even the thirst, but it's just this, it's completely necessary for you to have to think outside the box all the time. You can't just sit back and be the artist. I mean, you can, but you're really limited as far as what you can and can't do. You really need, you you need money to be able to rely on other people to prop you up and get you to where you need to go. Whereas in that sort of DIY world, you, you just find yourself naturally immersed in something. You've got no clue how to do it, but after a while of just repetitive sort of, you know, practice and, and research and, learning from other people that you, you develop these really odd and unexpected skills that, uh, that can be utilized in lots of surprising ways. And, uh, you know, certainly can, can be fruitful from a financial point of view. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Schoolcraft was saying, I I think it was on, on Twitter or perhaps in one of the the dumbest, dumb and dumbest podcasts, but something about like how, how she used to think, Oh, one day, I'll just make music for a living and I'll just be like in my apartment making beautiful music. And she was kind of like laughing about it (laughs) because now, now she's like running all her own stuff and has started her record label and is doing all her like e-commerce stuff. And she's just learned so much about business and, and setting up that e-commerce and doing so many non-musical things to make her living out of music viable that it's really, it's not just sitting around and, and playing harp or playing your guitar or like doing your art. Like it's your, if you really want to make a living, you have to build all these other skills. For sure. Yeah, definitely. So we'll wrap it up and, uh, I guess people can, well, I'm going to put links in the show notes for people to go and pre-order the ebook and get behind the release awesome. date of the 1st of December. <laughs> and if people want to jump ahead and get the paperback, they can grab that now from Amazon as well. Uh, but where, where should people start, Jesse? Like where, wh- with you, with your world, I mean, where, where's the best place to start? And, and I guess, you know, just going back to the topic at hand, um, you know, what's, what's the first uh, point on the checklist that people should be doing? Uh, you know, once they turn off this podcast episode, what should people uh, do as their first step? All right. Well, what, once they turn off the podcast episode, 
track their expenses for a month. <laughs> Whether you get an app like uh, Mint and Quicken or, or some of the people that I know use. Um, there's one called You Need a Budget that you actually need to pay for to use, I think, after a month. Or just putting receipts in an envelope. Just after you turn off this podcast, track your expenses for a month. See where the money's really going. See if it is in line with where you thought it was going. <laughs> so I'd say that. I'd say if you're interested in the money topic, um, go to metalheadmoney.com for more articles. Um, that you know, I've I've been I started that site in July, and I've been you know adding a post or two every week since then. Um, you can find Metalhead Money on Twitter, and we talk about all kinds of things on there. Um, and you know, if they want to check out the music stuff, um, my music site that I edit is Alternative. Excuse me, alternativecontrolct.com. CT is for Connecticut, which is the state where I live. Mm. Um, but a lot of people write for that site. I'm not the only writer. I'm just the one who puts it on the internet. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, you know, find Alternative Control website and find us on, you know, Twitter, Facebook, and all that that jazz. Um, if you're more interested in the music stuff. And and I should I should ask and I should make a mention, your bands as well. What, oh uh, yeah, yeah. Go, plug them. Yeah, <laughs> we'll go if you like uh, if you like punk, kind of doom punk, Americana punk. Go find Turkey Vulture. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think we're Turkey Vulture band on Bandcamp. Um, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And that that band's a lot of fun. We just had an EP come out this summer. Uh, <laughs> we're we're not quite breaking even with it yet, but we're really happy with how it sounds, and you know, so that's that was our goal, and we, uh, I, I'm I'm definitely happy with how it came out. Um, if you're into the stoner metal kind of stuff, look up Owl Maker. That's on Bandcamp too, and we got some awesome tunes on there. I play bass in that band, and uh, and yeah, so so yeah, go go find them on Bandcamp. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll I'll chuck some links in the in the show notes as well, so people can uh, can have a listen and check it out. And I must say, like two awesome band names as well. So <laughs> they're, they're cool. They're awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, um, from one bass player to another, and one uh, productivity uh, guru to another. Uh, thank you very <laughs> much for for giving me some time. And I must uh, I I need to give people some context because we've made uh, the the comment about productivity a couple of times uh, in this podcast. Uh, we're both doing. Uh, what would you call it? It's a productivity challenge uh, that yep. uh, Curtis Duar and uh, Keith from Ghost Cult and Matt Bacon are, are putting together on a Facebook group. Uh, I think it's like a 30-day productivity challenge. So we're both doing that <laughs> ourselves. So uh, yeah. early days. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And it looks like you're you're in a similar sort of space to a lot of us where we all want to get better and, and we're all DIY people. And uh, it's just a case of trying to get trying to get better at what we do. Yep. Yeah, we're we're all trying. We're all we're all in this together. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, Jesse, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, people, go and check out uh, Money Hacks for Metalheads and Old Millennials. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dandy. All righty, go and support Jesse and her new book, Money Hacks for Metalheads and Old Millennials, over at metalheadmoney.com. Also on Twitter at metalheadmoney. Go and pre-order the ebook if you can. A couple of bucks, a worthy investment uh, via Amazon. I'll have a link in the show notes along with everything else over at andysocial.net and andydowling.net. Almost forgot the names 
of my websites, as you do. Uh, but I've just finished reading the ebook. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. It's fantastic, especially for people that are just getting started in the world of looking after money, their money, their coin a little bit better than they have before. I think we all need to be financially educated. It doesn't have to be formal education, but I think we just need to be a little bit more savvy, a little bit more smart with our money, how we save, how we spend. And there's lots of really great practical tips in here, very simple stuff. And hopefully it will help a lot of people in uh, their journey to get financial independence and financial freedom, depending on whatever your goals are. But uh, go and check it out over at metalheadmoney.com. And a massive thank you to Jesse for being a part of the podcast. Uh, greatly appreciate it. And I've certainly got lots of ideas of how I can uh, how I can take care of my coin, take care of my coins. All right, before we wrap it up, patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. Please go and check it out. Go and support the scene. Go and get behind it. I've got a bunch of legends that have already jumped on board with Patreon. In particular, my social circle tier, that my $10 tier, these legends are the ones who significantly support and back this podcast. They're, they're chucking me 10 bucks a month, and it's absolutely incredible. So thank you in particular to Andrew from Perth, Mick G from Sydney, Ash from Daniloquin, Dan from Dapdo, Rod from Ray Lee in uh, North Carolina, Patrick from Canberra. Oh, sorry, I should say Patrick has upgraded to $20 uh, a month, which is just absolutely crazy. So thank you to Patrick. Liam from Brisbane. We've got Chris from Sydney. We have Brendo from Leeton, Tim from Canberra, and James from Brisbane. And a massive thank you to everybody else in the Patreon sphere who are supporting. Uh, it's been absolutely fantastic. The money that comes out of Patreon every month covers all of my editing, my production, hosting, gear, just everything. And uh, it's... Look, I, I'd say it's it's not cheap to run a podcast. It, there's there's plenty of uh, plenty of costs involved, but um, Patreon has been huge to take the pressure off and keep me focused on some of the fantastic guests I've been getting on the podcast and having conversations with and trying to find more and more people to have on the show. Speaking of which, next week is episode two hundred and fifty. Who will it be? Well, let me just tell you right now. For me, this is a selfish episode. This is ultra selfish. This guest, for me, is a childhood bucket list. This is somebody from my childhood where, who I just, if I told my 13, no, probably even younger, my 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old self that I'd be talking to this person on a podcast, a, a show, a radio, little radio show that I run, I would, well, I wouldn't believe it, but I'd freak out. I would, I'm, I'm stoked. I'm stoked that I've had this person on the podcast. I've actually had this person on my list of guests since day one. And to be really frank and honest with you all, I've been a little bit too, I don't know if you guys can hear Larry in the background. He's uh, just interrupting me. Uh, but I've been really intimidated to get this guy on the podcast. So um, it's happened. I'm glad it's happened. And really, to be honest, I should have got him on a long time before now, but episode 250, I couldn't think of a better better time to get this guy on. So uh, there you go. The only hint, it's guy. It's a, it's a throwback from yesteryear. It's a, it's a selfish choice for me, and I really hope you guys enjoy it. So until next week, folks, take care and ta-ta. Larry. Larry, please.